Well, good morning. We are continuing our study in the book of Romans in a series called Know the Why. We're in Romans chapter 8. I'd like you to turn there on your smartphone or your Bible. And, and as you're turning there, I want to pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to go through the book of Romans. It's so rewarding and rich for us to grow spiritually in our relationship with you. And God, I pray that this morning, uh, the message not only touches hearts, but changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're in Romans 8. We started Romans 8 last week, two weeks ago, actually, and we got through the first four verses. And what we learned or discovered is Romans 8 has everything to do with the Holy Spirit uh, and how the Spirit of God frees us, liberates us to live a victorious life in Jesus Christ. I want to look now at what the Holy Spirit gives us in this freedom, this liberation that we have. And the first thing is this, the Holy Spirit gives us a new mindset, a new mindset, a whole new way of thinking, perceiving, and doing. The Holy Spirit gives us a new mindset. And, and verses five through eight describes two mindsets, one without Christ and the other one with Christ. And the bulk of the description, unfortunately, is about the non-Christian mindset, the one without Christ. So we pick up in Romans 8, starting with verse 5. Here we go. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Verse 6 says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Verse 7 says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, they can never please God. So the mindset of those without Christ has these uh, distinct characteristics. And, and one is death. Paul talks about that. The other is a hostility towards God. When you don't have a mindset towards Christ, you're hostile towards God. And then the inability to subject yourself to God, surrender to God. And so these are attitudes that, that guide that individual that, that does not have a relationship with Christ. These are attitudes that guide everything that they do, everything that they think about. In fact, their whole perception of life. And it's a sad thing. Paul picks up and says something uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14 that's very, very sad. Let me read it to you. It says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. So that individual who does not have the Holy Spirit can't discern the things of the Spirit, can't understand the things that are of God. But on the other hand, we have in Romans 8, 6, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So, so much of the world does not have the peace that you and I have as believers, that peace that, that it's difficult to describe or even put into words, but the Bible tells us it's a peace that surpasses our understanding. What Paul is saying here is immensely important because our mindsets make all the difference uh, when it comes to daily living. Our mindset, set, our perception, how we think, how we view, how we perceive affects the decisions that we make. And so uh, we all, whatever spiritual state we're in, 
we all live in a, in a storm-tossed world. We live in a crazy time. And the scriptures tell us in, in Matthew 5.45 that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In fact, that's part of a message that Jesus gave in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. And so what that tells us is trouble can come at any moment, at any time, but it's how we respond how we respond to that trouble, which will affect the quality of our life. There's two things that are going on here in any situation, challenge, struggle that you find yourself in. You can react or you can respond. A reaction is, is kind of instinctive. It's, you've heard the term a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, reactions don't always necessitate and usually don't necessitate a time of thinking through or processing what the consequences are after your reaction. But listen to this. A, a response requires us to think, to consider, and as a believer, to pray about how we are going to respond to every situation. So when our, when our mind has been uh, affected by a life that's walking in the Spirit, we're going to respond in like. In other words, if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not a believer of Jesus Christ, our tendency to react to everything is high. But as a believer who is walking in the Spirit, we're not going to react to everything, every challenge, every difficulty. We're going to respond, and we're going to respond in a godly way. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He, he wrote this thing that I'm going to read to you, and kind of a small little paragraph or two article about attitude. Listen to this. Because our, our responses, our perceptions, our even reactions have everything to do or, or um, flow out of an attitude that we have. And here's what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, attitude to me is more important than education than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearances, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, and even a home. He goes on to say, the remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for the day. We, we cannot change our past. Did you hear that? We cannot change the fact that people act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And he goes on to say, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I love the way Chuck Swindoll articulates the importance of an attitude and, and how it affects everything that we see and do and the challenges that we're faced with. I found it interesting that one of the instruments on or gauges on, a, on, a, on an airplane is called the attitude. I don't know if you knew that, but it's called the attitude. And what the attitude does is as a pilot, a visual pilot who's flying based on his his uh, gauges and whatnot and what he sees, the attitude determines whether you're flying above the horizon or below the horizon. Now, if, you, if your attitude is down, 
what are you going to do? You're going to nosedive. If your attitude is up, you're, you're flying above the horizon line, you're climbing. So you're either declining attitude down or you're, you're on an incline. Your attitude is up. It's so important in life that our attitudes, specifically as believers, men and women of God, that our attitude is up no matter what we're going through. Because listen, why should our attitude not be up? God has given us forgiveness of sins, eternal life. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. Even though we're going through challenges, we can go through challenges and difficulties knowing that God is going to get us through those and we're going to be wiser and we're going to learn things. And so those tests, as you've heard this before, tests become testimonies to the person that understands that every challenge is something that God will get you through and you'll glorify God through that process. And so that causes our attitude to be up here instead of a nosedive. Have you ever noticed people who hang their head down almost as if they're, they're walking in shame? Their, their chin is tucked into their chest and they're just walking down. A Christian should never carry themselves that way. We need to have our chin up and let people see the light of Jesus Christ in our life and everything we do and everything we say. So these are some of the characteristics that the Holy Spirit imparts to us. The second one is this. The Holy Spirit gives us an understanding of life. When you have the Holy Spirit, you begin to tap into an understanding, a depth about life, an attitude about life, a perception about life that that God gives to us. Verse 9 tells us our life is infiltrated by the character, the very character of Christ. And when Christ entered our life, everything changed. Everything's changing. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now listen, I'm not talking about when you became religious or when you joined the church or became a member of a church. I'm not talking about that. Listen to me. When you started a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything, and I mean everything, began to change and is changing. So let's look at verse 9. I'm in Romans 8. It says, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. You hear that? You're controlled by the Spirit only if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Paul starts that, verse 9, he says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. It's, It's a word really of exhortation. He's communicating to believers, and he's encouraging them. He's telling them, listen, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And of course, they're reading this in Rome as as they receive Paul's letter and realizing, well, of course we have the Spirit because we are believers of Jesus Christ. And then then it says, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them They don't belong to him at all. So that's really a defining line between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer, a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer has the Spirit of God, has the Holy Spirit abiding within. An unbeliever doesn't understand spiritual things, hasn't been baptized by the Holy Spirit, hasn't received that that gift from God 
and that relationship that God allows us to have. And so as believers, as believers now, we have the Spirit of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. As believers, we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Paul uses a phrase that I love. He says, Spirit of God living in you. That's what we experience. And when we have the Spirit of God living in us, listen to this, we have the disposition of Christ. That means when we're facing anything, uh, we, we respond to those anything moments, those challenges, those difficulties, with the disposition of Christ. You know, it's the, that old saying, what would Jesus do? I think that's a viable question to ask in any situation. How would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus do? And because that's what we should do. That's how we're guided. We're guided by the Spirit of Christ. What that means is we're talking about His kindness, His gentleness, the way He loves people. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our life, we're filled with the very character of Jesus. And that's the term Christ-like. Are you Christ-like? I didn't say, are you little Jesuses? I said, are you Christ-like? Because the closer you draw to Christ and the more you strive to walk in the Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, the more you identify with Christ. And so therefore, you start behaving in a Christ-like manner. Now, Paul continues in verses 10 through 11. Starting with verse 10 in Romans 8, it says, and Christ lives within you. That's a, a word of encouragement to us. Christ is living in you. You may not realize it, or maybe you've forgotten about it, or, but listen, Christ is living within you, and that, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. That's good, no, good news. You've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So just as the Father uh, raised his Son Jesus from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead, we have that resurrection power in us. God is with us. He's made us, as Paul says, right with God. God has made us right with himself. It's not anything that you've done. It's not anything that you can do. Jesus did all the work on the cross. And that's gr great news. And, and I think Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, you could paraphrase it like this. In fact, I'm going to read from a paraphrase the verses that I just read out of a paraphrase called the message. It's not a translation, but it's a paraphrase. And it says, but if God himself has taken up residence in your life, don't you just love how that's worded? God himself has taken up residence in your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, 
He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. And listen, Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. He rose from the grave three days after he died. And here's the great news. He's still alive. And we're, gonna, we're, we're never going to die. We have eternal life. That's great news. When the evangelist D.L. Moody described his conversion experience, when, he, when that door was open where he understood he needed a Savior and a Lord, and, and he received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and he started a relationship with Jesus, he described how he felt. Listen to this. Here's what he said. I was in a new world. The next morning, the the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter and the old elms waved their branches for joy and all nature was at peace. Do you remember that time where you gave your heart to Christ, that, that, that first love? It changed everything. God put joy in your heart. You had a new perspective. It changed everything. And listen, you can go back to that. You can hit the reset button and say, God, I... I want to go back to my first love. I've been so distracted by stuff and things and life. And, and Lord, I want to focus on you and have that first love in my heart for you, Jesus. And, and watch what God does supernaturally through how you think and perceive and, and how you respond to things when you're mindful of how good God is and how much he loves you. Now, there's another element that... Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us, and it's my third point this morning, the Holy Spirit gives us a new obligation, okay? The Holy Spirit gives us a a new obligation. He gives us a new mindset, a new understanding in life, but he gives us a new obligation. Listen to this. In Romans 8, verses 12 through 13, it says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, Paul's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome, You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Can you imagine? That's like me saying, hey, listen, you don't have to sin. Really, you don't have to sin anymore. You're not obligated to sin. That's what Paul is saying. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Now verse 14 in Roman 8 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So this is, this is something that you and I must do on a daily basis. Strive to walk in the Spirit. Strive to, to bear and exercise and emulate the fruits of the Spirit and, and kill the things that are sinful, meaning just don't do them. Now, that's easier said than done, but, but understand that you've been imparted with the Holy Spirit to give you power over sin. So even though we have victory in Christ to live a victorious life, and you do, we don't necessarily and automatically follow God's will. It'd be nice if we could, but listen, let me say that again. Even though you and I have victory to live a victorious life in Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean we automatically 
uh, will follow God's will. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be challenges that get our mind off of the main thing. And so this is why Paul is exhorting us here in Romans 8, and he says that we need to be led by the Spirit in verse 14. And so day by day, we're constantly solicited to follow. We're con- you know, there's that knocking for us to follow the deeds of the flesh. And, and that's why Paul encourages, encourages us to constantly uh, to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Just going before the Lord. I've got victory over the sin. The blood of Jesus covers me. And, and, you know, if you're being bombarded with sinful thoughts, then get into God's Word. Open God's Word. Start praising the Lord. Doing what King David did in the book of Psalms. Start praising God. And watch what God does. He comes to your aid. If you're around people that cause you to sin, here's a thought. I don't know if you ever ever thought about this. Quit hanging around them. Okay? If you're around an environment that causes you to stumble, get out of that environment. And lastly, the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. I think this is one of the most beautiful sections of of Romans chapter 8. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit are sons and daughters of God. That's verses 14 through 16. So the identity the Spirit gives us is as a son or a daughter of God. It's a beautiful picture. So our our identity is that as sons and daughters of God. Look what verse 15 and 16 of Romans 8 says. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. So the identity of the spirit gives us the the label as sons and daughters of God. Of God. Look at verse 15 and 16 of Romans 8. It says, So you, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Boy, that's a message for a whole other day. Think about that. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Are you afraid? Have you been afraid over the last year and a half? Who are you listening to? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Like I said, that's a message for another day. Instead, Paul says, you received God's Spirit when he adopted. That, that's that word. I'm going to kind of land there and zero in on that word adopted. He's adopted you as his own children. God has adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, and here's an interesting verbiage here, Abba Father, Paul says. For a spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So we, you have the Holy Spirit that affirms with God's spirit, we're his children. And Paul uses a term, Abba, Father. And that, that, but before I get into that, I want you to understand something about adoption. Adoption isn't a secondary thing. It, it might not seem completely legitimate to you, but in, in, when Paul was writing this in the first century A.D., an adopted son uh, was someone who was deliberately chosen by the father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. So it was a son or a daughter who was handpicked, and much thought and care was put into that. And so he was in no way inferior in status uh, to a son born in an ordinary course of nature. 
And so th- it's this word adoption in this biblical sense is profound and it's very intimate in what God's done. So much so that Paul uses the verbiage Abba when he's, de- when he's um, identifying God. And that word Abba is an Aramaic word and it means dear father or dad or daddy. And so it's not a this distant, don't say God's name out of respect, distant, far-off relationship. Paul has drawn it close now to this intimate relationship. It's not this far-off, uh, obscure concept that there is a God, but I'm not really sure who He is, but I know there's a God. Paul brings it right down into a very personal uh, experience where God now is somebody you have a relationship. In fact, Jesus used that same term, and in his day, that was a scandalous thing to do, to refer to God as Daddy. And he used it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out to Abba Father in Aramaic, when he was praying, uh, Father, take this cup from me, yet if it's not your will, your will be done. And then many believe that uh, this word Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy, this was used in the Lord's Prayer originally. And then here in Romans, the Holy Spirit compels us to cry, Abba, Father. And now listen to this. In Galatians 4, 6, it says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, This has everything to do with a relationship, an identity that God is very close. And we can identify uh, in a a way that we cry out, not not in a reasoned cry, but it's a reflective uh, reflex cry. It's just something we do. We cry out to God and what God has called us to do. And I want you to think about what's going on here. Jesus through the Spirit has given us His own special name for the Father. That's awesome. And now it becomes our natural cry to our Daddy in Heaven, Abba, Father. I know that might sound a little foreign to you, but I want you to think about the depth of relationship that that door opens up now, that God's not this far-off, distant deity and divine being. He's someone you can have a relationship with with through his son jesus christ and that can be an obscure abstract way of thinking to many who haven't had meaningful relationships with their earthly father or maybe your earthly father is gone now but god offers you and i a very significant very real relationship it's personal it's not religious and We can come to Him as Abba, Daddy, or Dear Father. That close personal relationship. And so we're free because the Holy Spirit has applied the work of Christ in us. The law couldn't save us because of the weakness of our flesh, but Christ came to rescue, and He came in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, as Romans 8.3 says. And so, listen, through the work of the Holy Spirit as a believer, you and I have a new mindset 
So don't, don't say, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way I'm wired. No, you've got a new mindset. You've got a new wiring if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a new understanding now, a new perception, a new way to respond as a person who's walking in the Spirit. You, more importantly, have a new identity that changes everything. Your identity is in Christ. It's not based on your DNA. It's not based on the color of your skin. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And then you have a new obligation to, to walk in the Spirit and put to death those deeds of the flesh and just allow God to flow in and through you and be a light for Jesus Christ everywhere you go. I hope you were blessed by this study of Romans chapter 8 this morning. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads if you're able to do that? And uh, Lord, I want to lift up everyone who's been with me today as we study the book of Romans chapter 8. And God, I pray if there's someone that's listening, that's struggling, they're not, they're not sure if they'd spend eternity with you. They're not sure they have a relationship with you, that they could call out to Abba Father, Daddy Father. In, in a way that signifies they have a relationship with you. God, I pray for that individual that today, even now, would start a relationship with you. Father, bring many to Christ this morning. In that prayer, if you sense that you might be that person who doesn't have that close relationship with the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus right now. The Bible tells us that if you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believe in your heart who He is, you will be saved. And I want you to experience God's salvation today. Would you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the family of God. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your life today to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to text the word pray to the number you see on the screen. I want to start communicating with you, encouraging you in your newfound faith. And also, I want to find out if you need a Bible. I've got a new believer's Bible. I would love to send you if you need one. But I want to congratulate you and encourage you to continue to grow in your faith. Get plugged in. If you don't live locally, plug into a Bible-believing teaching church. Ask those questions to make sure they teach from God's Word. If you live locally here to Menifee, I want to encourage you to come on campus each and every Sunday at 10 a.m. God bless you.